Welcome to another episode of Tech Salescraft. Our mission is simple. We want to bring exclusive insights from some of the most influential people in the technology sales scene. We want this podcast to become your weekly go-to for your tech sales inspiration. And if this is the first time you're listening, please subscribe to keep up to date with the latest releases. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Tech Salescraft. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Anup Kira. Welcome. Anup, I wanted to bring you onto the show to talk about particularly your most recent experience with uh, Smart, where you're the Chief Revenue Officer. But before we get going on that, do you want to give the, uh, the viewers a brief overview of who you are and what you've been doing up until today? Yeah, no problem, James. So um, first of all, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. So my name's Anoop Kira. I am uh, Chief Revenue Officer here at Smart, which is an employee communications and employee advocacy technology. I've probably been in SAS now for over 12, 13 years. I'm kind of doing first line management in, in kind of sales and enterprise sales to then kind of more of a, a kind of um, second level management role kind of covering global territories and most recently here where chief revenue officer at smart which entails new business existing business the whole kind of go to market so yeah been around SaaS, but predominantly martech yeah the best part of 10 years excellent so no, the reason why i wanted to to bring you on is that you have got a, a strong background in leadership particularly around developing your sales team and moving them forwards and I wanted to talk through your, your journey with Smart from when you arrived and talk through the, the journey that you've gone on there, the process that you, that you put into to play that you found that, that worked and, and, and towards the end, talk about the challenges and, and if you were going to do it again, how, how you would do things differently. So walk us through what did Smart look like when you, when you arrived? Because they're a great business, they're a great brand, they were, they were doing well. What were you brought on to do and what did the landscape look like uh, on day one? Yeah, so when I joined Smart, obviously it had been a business that had found a product fit. Yeah. So as an organisation, there were companies buying the product, some nice enterprise logos. So if you look at us as an organisation, generally for a Series A company, our logo list was, was pretty ridiculous, if I'm honest, and something that many companies wouldn't achieve in a lifetime. However, I would say that the average deal size was probably fairly low. Yeah, and I think they just did really well because of the good product they had, and I think I, I was brought on actually to to be able to scale that globally. So whether I had a good footprint in Europe is okay. When I say and mainland Europe specifically, how can we kind of bring Smart into the UK and the US, yeah. and how can we turn I don't know double tens of thousands of pound deals into hundreds of thousands of pound deals in, into yep. the enterprise. So that's what I was kind of brought on to do. When I came into the business, what I found was A, a great bunch of people, first and foremost. Yep. The team at Smart were, were fantastic, super collaborative, all departments. But I think they were really kind of lacking experience. Mm. Um, so co-founded their business, which had done amazingly. Um, they'd hired people in mainland Europe and the HQ is in Finland, which the first Finnish tech company I've worked for. So I think there was a challenge there and okay, how do we find the right people? How do we kind of put processes in place to kind of really accelerate growth? So how many salespeople did you have in London? Interesting story, actually, because I, I was supposed to have five new business people when I joined in London and an existing business person. And literally between the time of me accepting the role and before I joined, for whatever reason, we had obviously had someone there that 
went back to Finland. We had a couple of people who found different roles. So when I joined, I had no new business salespeople at all. It was just me and one other guy uh, in the London office there, which was kind of like, okay, this is going to be a complete rebuild, opposed to kind of scaling. What did that mean then? to you as, as your role coming in did that mean that you had to pick up the tools yourself and and sell the products so i think initially we still had self people in, in mainland europe right so yeah. at that point i wasn't actively like carrying the bag however if, for those who know me know that i think the best part of the job and the part i really enjoy the most is actually being in front of prospects and clients so and even now even when we've got a, a full-on sales global sales team i will still always get involved in certain deals because that's the part I, I truly enjoy but yeah it just meant that yeah, well actually it was an opportunity James if I'm really honest because it gave me a bit of a blank canvas to kind of really build the team and the people in the team in the way that I could see it working moving forward. Yeah. So you mentioned that one of the remits for you being brought on was to take them into enterprise size deals how do you go about that where do you even think about starting? So normally Generally, whenever I go into an organization and I've been into a few around kind of building and scaling it, I kind of work with the, the, the three P's, I call it. Kind of the analysis of understanding what's happening. The three P's stands for kind of people, mm -hmm. product and process. So looking at the people, understanding the, the skill sets that you have at your disposal. Yeah. Uh, understanding the and identifying the kind of coaching gaps that you may have and, you know, where to kind of focus that time. Alternatively, it might be just like you might need new people as well. Second part would be, again, around a product. So, again, that product has done well. Now, kind of the, the analysis on, okay, looking at total addressable market, looking at ideal customer profile, like who we sold into, why have they purchased it, and how can we find more of those, right? So, can I sell more? I look at the growth levers. Can I sell more of it? Can I sell more quicker, right? And then can, um, potentially, do I have other things to sell as well that can really help drive revenue? And the last one would be around a process. So I think, well, again, the process was kind of immature around mm -hmm. the fact that it was, you kind of get an inquiry. It's like, what are you doing straight away? Is you showing all your cars? Like, like yeah. here's the product. I'm just going to take you into the product straight away. And it's, don't get me wrong, it's done them great so far, but no one's going to, off the, off the bat, is going to spend, I don't know, a quarter of a million just on seeing yeah. the product. Office, just straight away like just showing shiny features and buttons is not going to help you because you're getting get into a price fight so it's like how can we change the process that we have to a better qualify the deals that we have but also to kind of create that value and if we're kind of creating value it doesn't really matter to a certain extent how shiny your product is if you can show that then you have a higher likelihood of kind of a winning that deal but also winning it at the deal size that you want so before you accept the job at smart are you getting access to see the product to know that the product can be sold at an enterprise um, size or is it always possible to adapt the product to to get to that enterprise level i don't think it's always possible depending on the product but i think yes for me it was like before kind of even taking the role it's like okay want to understand let me see the product let me meet people in the team yeah you kind of get to understand from from different perspectives of what what's working, what's not working. And actually just a, a digress for a second, but that's the first thing I did when I joined is literally met every individual person who was kind of customer facing or prospect facing, asked them what we did. And when you, when you get a number of mixed responses around what we do, that kind of clearly shows that internally, if we're not aligned on a go-to-market, then that's going to cause a problem 
externally yeah. as well. Yeah. So yeah, met met the met different people in the team, looked at the product, understand what customers there are, look at kind of pipeline in there, and definitely kind of qualify around is that real pipeline because I've been in situations before where you kind of like come in as a leader and you're like, look, we've got this great product, so many leads like they're coming out of our areas and what you tend to find is that like um, a marketing qualified lead versus a sales ready lead are two very different things and you kind of come in and it's like oh well someone downloaded an ebook it's not necessarily what i would count as a genuine bit of pipeline yeah. and from your experience i know it's, it's almost like how long is a piece of string but if you've got founders that are, are listening to this and they are wanting to move into that enterprise size thing because there's 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 lots of reasons to go into the enterprise side of it based on, you know, revenue size, particularly when you're going for funding, the increased revenue is, is always better. And then you're getting some good logos as well for, for what you're saying. How long does it take? Because I've seen it where it's like, right, you sold enterprise before and you come come and take our product and we'll make it a, uh, just by having a nook sat there, um, we're going to be selling to enterprise customers, which isn't the case. So how, how long does it, should leaders founders be thinking right if i want to move into it this is how long i've got got to give it to to till i sign the first customer because they take longer to sign as well don't they yeah 100 percent. do you know what i i chuckle when i say that because there is that kind of illusion if i get the right person in that tomorrow we're going to be selling these huge enterprise deals it's, it's yeah. a process yeah um and i was kind of very thankful and, and and lucky that my my ceo around that was was kind of prepared to kind of listen to that before I kind of joined to kind of say, look, this is where you want to go. These are the steps to which you're going to get there, but it takes time. Mm. Okay. Because if you just look at the, the deals we're selling now and you can look at your analysis, you can turn around and say, well, the average sales cycle is like, I don't know, 40 days, 30 days. It's not the same in an enterprise yeah. deal. It's just a more complex deal, more stakeholders. And it's about ensuring that you're really upfront and transparent around that. And the fact that, look, we can make this happen together because they need to be able to go to the, they're investors, right? And there's a business plan in place and that business plan kind of goes out the window and no one wants to look so like bad, I would say, by, by going to your investors and saying, you know, the plan we had, that kind of fell away. Where I think if you're there to say, look, here's what the plan looks like in the next two to three years. And this is how we kind of see the hockey stick effect yeah. happening, but you're going to have to trust the process. I think it's really important to set those expectations because it does take longer. Also um, depends on the maturity of your market as well. Sorry, yeah. James, because smart was in a really new category. It wasn't even kind of, there wasn't even a category from Gartner or kind of Forrester. We got one created with kind of Gartner. We got one created with G2.com, but it wasn't even an employee communication space. So that will also have an impact. And how important is it to keep going with the SMB market at the, at the same time? Or do you put a full focus on the, the enterprise side? I always say it's kind of like a transition. <clears throat> I think even when I look at the the kind of people, the product and the process that I spent, mentioned earlier, I think you, that's, that's the analysis, right? I don't think you can come in and make changes really, really quickly without understanding or using the data to understand what works. I've been in situations before where I've had a, a problem, I've solved that problem and it worked, but then going into a different organization, just because the problem's the same, doesn't mean that the same solution is going to give you the same result. So, mm. and I, I hold my hands up. I made that mistake thinking, why well, not to fix this? And it, and it didn't kind yeah. of pan out. So first of all, that, that's important. And I think this transition, I think you can't, you need your, your, your bread and butter and your run rate business to continue. Yeah. 
And then it's over time, can you start either coaching your sales team or kind of hiring the right sales team to be able to work on those larger deals? When you arrived at Smart, you had to obviously meet with everybody, see what was going on. At what point did you know it was the right time to start to rehire those salespeople that gone back to um, to other European countries or, or left the business? So part of me coming on board, obviously, they said the team had, had gone, but we were kind of having to, we, so we had that budget, right? So yeah. I think we, we were kind of bringing it on board. And as part of that, there was an element of, look, let's get those people in quite quickly. Obviously, I'm new in a business, like, okay, yeah. we've got the headcount. And then what you tended to find is that you need to get the blueprint, right? So anyone's kind of listening out there, if you're a founder, you could get a shed load of funding tomorrow, right? Yeah. Bags of cash delivered on the doorstep saying scale this business. But you need to have the blueprint ready first. You need to understand how to sell your product in a market first and foremost and how to do that well before you think about, okay, I'm going to now go for kind of global expansion or I'm going to yeah. drop another, even then or drop, even if you start to do well in one, one market, you've started to drop another 20 South people into a region. If without that blueprint, it, it could fall down. The other thing to consider, and this was something that I've seen happen a number of times, is that kind of, okay, we're going to put five more AEs in a specific region. The kind of numbers work, and remember CFOs and to all the CFOs out there, if you're listening, and I kind of say, look, we love you. You are obviously fundamental in making businesses work, but it can be quite binary. I've seen CFOs that can be quite binary, and it's like, well, you've got X amount of people. Here's the ramp time. They should be generating X amount of revenue in, in this amount of time. But what I sometimes fail to, to, to investigate is, do we have the pipeline? What's the yeah. marketing machine doing? Where's the funnel, right? And those two things, like, you can have like five of the best salespeople in some of the biggest unicorns tomorrow land in your business, but without the kind of support they need from marketing, from the rest of the business, from product, doesn't mean they're going to be successful. Yeah. So once... You've got that blueprint in place. Is that blueprint coming from you making some sales yourself, working with the, the sales team that are there and sort of like repeating that process a couple of times? Or do you suddenly have a load of leads that are coming in and you can't keep up with the lead? So you think, well, actually, we need to get some more people in to shoulder some of this lead. I think the first one, it depends on the size of business. You mentioned like, do I close some deals myself? Or do you kind of get involved in the process? Depends on the size of organization you are. If you're, like at Smart, we're a Series A. So when I joined, we're not a huge, huge organization. So I worked at some yeah. of the largest companies in the world, like Salesforce. When you're there, like for me, I, I did get involved in closing because I wanted to learn the space because it was also a new SaaS industry that I was in. So I wanted to kind of get firsthand experience of doing that. And I think when you're a CRO in an early stage business, you can't afford to sit in an ivory tower. Right? No. You need to roll your sleeves up, be with the team. And I actually closed a few deals myself. And I think from that, it helped me understand where the gaps were from product, what we needed in the sales process. Also, the byproduct of that is credibility yeah. with the sales team, because I think there's a lot of sales leaders that can say, look, I will do what I would ask any of my sales team to do, yeah. but not necessarily a lot of them actually yeah. do that. Right. So I think yeah. it's a combination of like, if you can get involved, perfect. Uh, and close the deals yourself, right? If not, then definitely be involved in the deals of your team, like be on those calls, be that exec sponsor, learn. That way you can fix the, the, the gaps, or you can plug the gaps, right? You can fix the problems. It'd be great to understand your take on when you go to hire a salesperson at Series A funding, the level and the experience they're looking for, because 
you know, from, from being a role as a recruiter, I see it from where founders say, look, just get me somebody with two, three years of experience to come in and, uh, and sell. We'll teach them everything. The product will sell itself. To others that will say, look, at Series A, this is critical. Go and hire the best and pay them good money to deliver what it is that you're looking for. Or are you somewhere in the middle where it's a mixture of, of both? I think, if I'm honest, for, for early stage companies, it's a mixture of both. You can't, I mean, if you get a mixture of both, it's going to play out well for you. If you go to, say, some of the largest software houses and you're paying the best and you go to Series A, that salesperson is going to get there and they're going to think, great, I was used to, I don't know, having teams of kind of solution consultants. I had marketing disposal and millions of marketing dollars behind me. We were a brand name. And this process was already in place. And, and sometimes they get there and it's like, well, okay, if you kind of have to wear multiple hats, it's something I'm not, they're not used to. And yeah. that can mean like, this is not for me. Then on the other side, you've kind of got the people with two or three years experience was like, okay, have you got enough to go from where you are to the next level? And I think yeah. where that really comes into play is that kind of the interview process, right? You need to be able to test for the characteristics that you're looking for. And more importantly, the characteristics or individual traits that are going to make that individual successful in your particular business. So what is the, what are the blockers? What's needed? If it's a new product, no one knows your brand name, then look, you're looking for resilience, right? As an example, yeah. because pick up the phone and like call him from who? And yeah. that's it, right? Whereas you turn around and say, I'm, I don't know, I'm calling for Google. Yeah. No one's going to say who's Google, right? They, yeah. they kind of get that. So um, it's about knowing that and being able to test for that as well but also yeah. setting expectations i think it's, it's part of the process just when you're serious you have to sometimes sell the dream yeah but i think you need to be able to sell the dream because there's definitely a, a fruitful end to the journey and that journey that they can be on but i think you have to tell them that like here's the there's a rough that goes with the smooth and it's going to be a challenge but there's going to be also lots of opportunity for you as we continue to grow and, uh, and scale mm-hmm. What would you aim to go for first, though, if you're you're putting together your your team? Are you going to go with experience first or somebody on, on more of the junior side? Again, it depends where you're selling into. For example, if you are selling into the enterprise and it's complex, yeah. there are multiple stakeholders, getting someone junior can be tough, right? Because there's so much needs to be, te- to be taught. Yeah. I think likewise, going to someone who's just done enterprise alone, again, as I mentioned before, depends on where they've done enterprise would make the difference. Yeah. If they've done it in like a series A, B, C, perfect. That's not a problem at yeah. all. Right? Uh, and likewise, you can get those guys that are going to on the cusp, right? You look at the, the say, I say junior, I'm probably not the right term, but I'd say less experienced guys yeah. that maybe had two or three. You're going to, if you, sometimes you have to look for the diamond in the rough. Yeah. And as part of that process, and you take them through being able to determine the traits that you need yeah. and, and then see the coaching gaps. And if you can kind of coach and then test for that curiosity and the ability to coach through the interview process, you can get some real rock stars. So once you start piecing together your sales team, how does your role change from day to day now that you've got your kind of mini army together of salespeople? It does. So I think you're then going from kind of build. So there you went from build to, to kind of, okay, how do I scale? And that becomes where 
in my role that I'm not just kind of looking at the, the here and now, right? Yeah. We're not looking at just this year's numbers. Like, okay, what are the strategically, what are we going to do to scale the business over the next two to three years, right? Okay, so where do we want to be? Because that's all going to be dependent upon the conversations you're having with marketing or product or how you're coaching your sales team or where you're kind of building a pipeline and talent could be in different regions or with yeah. vertical experience. I think it goes from the kind of very much what's in front of me in the next six months year to planning for like two to three years and that could be anything from i don't know series a companies go there when i went to smart we were just doing 12 month contracts and i asked yeah. the question why why do we just sign customers for 12 months and the response was we always just have we've right? done yeah we've just all we've done is like well yeah that's we just do multi-year contracts now right yeah. and that kind of locks in revenues for years two three and longer so i think it becomes more strategic at that point how do you nurture to make sure that you get the best performance out of your your sales team because that first 12 months of having them on board is critical to get ramp up done as quickly as possible but to make sure that particularly when you're in a still in that kind even at series a you're still kind of in that startup mode where there isn't a huge amount of support that you would get from a larger organization to make sure that a the salespeople feel loved but B, they're progressing and C, they're actually making money, which is obviously one of the biggest part of why people get into sales. Yeah, a really good question, James. And I think the, the nurture part is, is really, really important because uh, failed salespeople or salespeople to leave cost the business money. Right? Yeah. So it's like, how do you keep that talent? Because data will tell you that after 18 months to two years, that's when they're probably the most successful because they've really learned the industry, they've learned the product, they know the process, and at that point they can scale, but it's that time in between. So outside of the financial, obviously, like salaries and, and comp, I think one of the things just through speaking to so many salespeople over the years and, and interviewing, the key comes up time and time again when you ask, like, why, why are you leaving your current company? What's yeah. the, the reason why? And a lot of time I, I get that personal development is so important. Yeah. So I think there, if you look at, like, what's going to be a driver for you to change business is going to be like a company that I can kind of be better at. And that's a bit of a mantra that I, I have and my sales team have that we kind of have instilled across the business is that at some point people will leave, right? And someone in my sales organization will leave. But if they can look back yeah. and say, I'm better now than I was when I joined, then we've yeah. kind of done our job right. So we're real, a real focus around personal coaching and development, looking at kind of career and mm -hmm. so the coaching around sales, but also that career development as we grow and scale. And then recognition as well. I think that's key because as you're starting out, like targets can seem a long way away, but it could be so many things outside of a closed deal that someone is doing well that yeah. needs recognizing, right? Okay. So whether it's like, okay, showing the right kind of traits within their colleagues, is collaboration, is it doing a, like the activities, is it building pipeline? All of the good stuff there, I think, is, is something that we, should, we, we measure and look at as well. And that way we can recognize off the back. So how, how often does someone need one-on-one -on -one coaching and guidance? Because I, I hear a lot from, from senior sales saying that they just get a bashing about KPIs and, and pipeline once a week. How, how much contact do you feel they need to have? And, and how do you plan those one-on-one -on -one sessions? So, so for example, my regional VPs that reports me, obviously they, they run their own sales teams in regions. Generally, they'll have a one-to-one -one on a weekly cadence. Mm -hmm. Now, to be really clear, the one-to-ones and the coaching sessions, which they both have individually and separately once a week, are different. 
yeah. because what you don't want to do is kind of go into a training session that turns into a forecast of what's happening about it. and it, it happens yeah. so often right and i think when you look at the, the 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 bashing that you said like looking at metrics and bashing i think i always look at what the why and the how so salespeople are not stupid right like you don't go and think i'm going to hire stupid people you hire really good people that have got great potential and, and they're doing well or could do really well they know what they need to do Right, they know they have a number to hit. They know what their metrics are, and they know why they need to do it. Right, so if yeah. I do my activities, it's going to lead to pipeline. It's going to lead to deals. Sometimes it becomes the how. Right, so yeah. where's the gap? And that's fundamental difference. Don't bash people, but help them to fix or plug the gap around yeah. the coaching. Okay, so it could be again like if it's around. Okay, I'm not getting many first meetings. Well, let's look at your activity. How yeah. are you doing it? What's your most successful channel? Yeah. Are you getting better response rates from emails or LinkedIn or calls? What's the message that you're kind of putting in your emails? Is what's the hook? Like all of those things that when you kind of break it down and dissect it, and then you work on those the, the bits that are going to make the the most impact in the shortest amount of time. Yeah. So I pick two or three things. And it's been great talking to you so far. Before I let you go, what's been your biggest challenge at Smart? If you were advising someone who's going to go for a similar challenge now how would you uh with hindsight tell them to uh, to, ta- to tackle it yeah good question so i'm, I'm going to ignore the, the covid part because hopefully yeah. we won't need to go through that again but that was a, a real yeah. challenge coming into business six months later having to go fully fully remote i think the the biggest one of the biggest challenges that i had was uh, going back to that blueprint right so yeah. we thought we had the blueprint right and we put some people on the ground unfortunately we didn't yeah right? and when that blueprint was right I had a couple of salespeople leave off the back of it because it went right. And then we spent time to say that we're not just going to replace. Mm. Uh, we could have replaced our salespeople, but what we did is we wanted to build, especially having a new sales team, a majority of it all new. They didn't even have people to look to and say, like, this yeah. guy's got it worked out. He knows how to sell or she knows how to sell really well. So now we kind of just dialed it back a bit, got people being successful. And at that point, scale off the back. That would be my, my guidance. Get the blueprint right and then scale off the back. And just that's an interesting point uh, on there. Um, how important was it for you to admit that blueprint was wrong and to go back? So again, because a lot of people who would just basically quite pigheadedly would just keep going and say, look, this is my decision. It, it, it will work and keep going with it. So how important was it to basically fail quickly and, and actually hold your hands up and say, right, that's wrong. We need to redo it. I would say it's like, look, one of the things that we do at a business here is we hire lots of people and we hire smart people and I don't claim to be the smartest in the room. Yeah. And they're kind of in the cold face every day. So we generally have regular feedback sessions, even on a monthly from all of our teams on what's working, what's not yeah. working, what we need to tweak and change and evolve. And we do that all the time. I don't think even now we're going to have something that will not change in the next six months because yeah. the industry changes, the customers change, the prospects change, and we need to be dynamic around that. So yeah, all egos aside, we're here to kind of build a business, to scale a business. You're going to fail lots of times. You're probably going to get yeah. the blueprint wrong lots of times. And even when you think you've got it right, you're probably going to end up continues to evolve and tweak it. So yeah, uh, yeah. But if you're going to fail, fail quick. All right, and I really appreciate your time on this. It's been great chatting to you and, uh, and seeing the success that you guys have had. And thanks for coming in and sharing your journey. Thanks, James. Appreciate you having me on. Awesome. Thanks a lot. If you like what you've heard today, please rate, review and subscribe. We want you to get involved with Tech Sales Craft and become part of our growing community. Thanks for joining us.